happening, guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. You know, I am finally home in Westland. I had a long trip to Saudi Arabia, and that's why I missed the last few episodes. I hope you all tuned into the PFL over the weekend to catch a glimpse of Uncle Chael doing his thing on the broadcast. All right, guys, we got a lot to catch up on on today's show. We got guys like Israel Adesanya, who has broken his silence and told us where he stands and who he plans to return against. Plus, I saw Francis Ngannou while I was in Saudi Arabia. I'm going to tell you what I learned. And a lot of you have been asking me what Ilya Teporia should do next. I'm going to give you my answer to that question, but let's begin here. My phone goes off yesterday, no different than any other day. Left, right, and center, I look down at my phone, and it keeps on saying George Masvidal. Get different text messages, they're popping up, bye, bye, bye. You know how the iPhone will do, as the kids are known to have. St. George Masvidal. I even hear from Ariel himself. Because I just had George Masvidal on. I want to give it a look. So, I gave it a look. And I'm not sure if George Mosvall has challenged me. I kept being told that. I kept being told in these my hate George Mosvall challenged you. But I didn't know if I was challenged or if I was threatened. If I was a competitive fighter, I would understand I have been challenged. By a guy much littler than I. But I have been challenged nonetheless. And an equal opportunity. I didn't say you gotta be bigger. Laws of the streets, I would prefer it. But either way, if it's your idea, we'll overlook that. But because I'm not a competitive fighter, I felt that I was threatened. Either way, policy will still be applied. I will not let him get close. I cannot trust George Masvidal. George Masvidal will be in Miami next week, where I will be. George Masvidal will be at a fight next week, where I will be. I mean, it sounds to me like, like, like we're starting to bring pieces together. Now, he will have to wave to me. I will have to send up an usher to bring him a few levels down so we can get a little bit closer to the action. We'll all be seated, but we can have that chat. I will be the person in the nice trim suit with the somewhat dimmed glasses and a crowd of people onlooking. I assume he will be the thug with a hood up that I need to have my eye out for. George Masvidal tried to come at me and call me a fake angster. I have more felonies than he does, which is jailhouse talk. I wouldn't expect any of you to be impressed by that, but it means he sleeps on the bottom bunk and he will know what that means. So George Masvidal, in the process of threatening me, decides he's going to post a picture of himself outside Nate Diaz's jiu-jitsu studio in Stockton, California. Now, the fact that Nate Diaz, who is world-renowned and one of the very few who made it, from a financial standpoint, Nate Diaz will do for the rest of his life what he chooses to do with his time. It's a very special thing, and he earned it the hard way. And the fact that he lives in the same town that he grew up and graduated high school, and the fact that he leaves his house on a set schedule and goes into a gym and passes the knowledge that he earned and gained the hard way onto other curious 
younger people, I think it's noble. I don't have a different word to use. I think it is noble what Nate Diaz does. And George goes down, according to George. I got to take him at his word. I've known him a long time. He's never lied to me. He goes down looking for a street beef with Diaz. He shows up to the gym, which is apparently locked. He makes sure he gets photographs and then lets the world know that he's challenging Diaz. Now, there again, it comes back to my initial point. If George is challenging me, fair game. But if he's threatening me, we're having a different conversation. But I've got to apply that to Nate. Now, I would imagine had Nate opened the door, there would have been a handshake. There would have been a greeting and Nate would have welcomed him. And I imagine that George would have, who clearly brought cameras to some degree, would have walked right on inside. But they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And I gathered a thousand words from the picture of Masvidal standing outside Nate Diaz's Jiu-Jitsu Academy. First off, he wasn't holding the phone. If I had done that and I needed some kind of documented proof, I would have to hold the phone because I would be by myself. I'm not insane. I would not show up to somebody's gym in their hometown looking for trouble with numbers. I would not have done that because I am not a coward. I would have been there by myself. And if I wanted to document, I would have taken my phone, but there was somebody else holding the camera. That's interesting. How many other people were there with the camera? Was it a basic camera? Was it an iPhone? It didn't seem like an iPhone. As a guy that happens to know pixels, it actually looked like something called an Ari Alexa, which I believe is operated by a minimum of two people. I think Masvidal showed up not just by, not by himself, not even just one deep. I think he showed up at a minimum three deep. That's weird. By the way, what was he doing in Stockton? That is not a place that a guy who resides in Miami would go to. That is a very out of the way type of location. If you happen to know California, it would be like finding yourself in Lodi. There would have had to be a reason that you were there. I think that George had a reason. I think it was a photo op and I think it was outside Nate's gym which is very clearly and visibly marked as far as hours of operation go on something known as the internet. Now, I don't have a problem with the fact that George wanted a photo shoot, re-engineered, remanufactured the story to present to Arrow. I don't have a problem with it. I just have to share for you that I've known him for a very long time. He's never lied to me. So I must take him at his word. So what is it that he wants? What is it specifically that George Masvidal would like? I can't see any reason I wouldn't give it to him. There hasn't been another time in life that George has asked me for something and I've told him no. I won't bring those receipts to you. We've scratched each other's back. It's been back and forth, but there's still not a time that I've said no. So am I being asked for something? Am I being asked for my hand? Am I being asked to meet at a certain location at a certain time? I can't imagine that I would start now by saying no to my friend. Or am I being fake threatened? Because I know Nate wasn't real threatened. I know Nate's operation hours are posted online. 
And I know when Nate goes in there and gives back, it's a very different situation, right? I mean, think of the skills that Nate's learned. But now think about how he learned them. Really think about that. Think about that sacrifice. Think about how he learned the skills that he's going to go and just, just hand to people. And then you got George Mosvidal, who a lot of people would be very excited to see. He's got the hair, he's got the robe, right? When he's not wearing up, pulling the hood up and doing the whole thing, people are very happy to see him. He's another guy that acquired an incredible set of skills, particularly at a jujitsu gym in Stockton. I mean, this is not exactly target marketing. It is for sure the market. But when he remanufactured the store, he didn't say, I went down there to kick in. I went in there to contribute. I went down there to give back. I went down there to shake hands with my old boy, Nate Diaz. He didn't say any of those things. He said he went down there looking for a fight. And I know that he brought people with him. And I know that he was wearing a sweatshirt with a hood on it, which is the very thing that he wore on his mugshot on TMZ the night that he attacked Colby Covington. I've got to take this guy at his word. So if he's looking for me, I just asked that he say so I could be clear a few more words. So I was with Francis Ngano over the weekend. What does that mean? Well, I didn't speak to him, but I was in the same vicinity as him in Saudi Arabia. Francis comes in and I mean, these people come to their feet. He walks through. Francis is such a presence. Everything's going great. I haven't seen Francis in interviews. I haven't seen footage of Francis posted on social media, things like this, interviews posted on social media, training sessions that are stateside, meaning they're at a gym in America. And I thought Francis did his training at Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. Well, perfect scenario, when I was in Saudi Arabia working, my broadcast partner is Randy Couture, who owns Extreme Couture Gym. So I say to Randy, is Francis's home still Extreme Couture? And Randy said, yes, it is. Randy shared with me, though, that Francis is doing this training camp, hands only, right? Just boxing. He's doing this specific training camp in Saudi Arabia. Now, I thought that was interesting. Apparently, and if you guys know this story, I apologize. I live in this space. It hadn't been told to me, right? But I, but I have a feeling that it's a well-known story, and so maybe you guys do know it. But Mike Tyson opened his own gym in Saudi Arabia. And he didn't just loan his name to a gym that opened in Saudi Arabia. Apparently, Mike spends a lot of time at this gym, and he's training guys, and the sport of boxing is really, like, becoming a thing in Saudi Arabia. At any rate, Francis is there twice a day, every day. This is where he's doing his camp. Brought Dewey Cooper over, for example. They've already been there for a month. This fight is still, I don't have a cal calendar in front of me, but it's still a month or so away. Eric Nixink will be coming in, overseeing. Nixink would be the, the head coach who oversees everything. And Francis just boots on the ground. The reason I bring that to you guys is because that speaks to a deeper dedication. That is the one and only reason that I took time out of my day to tell you guys that Francis is training in Saudi Arabia at a gym opened up by Mike Tyson. Generally, those are all the pieces that you would need for a headline to put in a press release, put in a banner behind you, move on with your life. It's not the case. Francis is there. 
He's getting what's called acclimated. Which is not an advantage that he had when he took on Tyson Fury. There was a bit of an acclimation period that Francis went through. That's not the same thing. Acclimation camp, that's not the same thing as becoming fully immersed and therefore acclimated. Francis is planning to win this fight. And I know for some of you, you just laugh. Of course, he's planning to win the fight. That's because you don't understand. It's not like that. It's only presented to you like that. Two boxers going into the ring. They both know who's going to win. Two boxers signing a contract. Two boxers showing up at weigh-ins. Two boxers showing up to a press conference. They both know who's going to win. It's the same with MMA guys. They both know who's going to win. Now, it's not spot on. That's a broad stroke, but it is well over 95% and much closer to 98% accuracy. They both know who's going to win. And the rest of it, you try to align the universe. You try to put yourself in a position so you can follow the golden rule, which is to protect yourself at all times. The number one fear that a combat athlete has is not losing. His biggest fear is exhaustion. A combat athlete's biggest fear will be that at some point in the evening, he will get so fatigued that he can no longer defend himself. It's a very interesting concept when you start to see the sincerity that Francis Ngannou is willing to put in this. When you look at how perfect it appeared, Francis versus Fury was for Francis. That looked like a night, that's what dreams are made of. Everything came together. It looked to be perfect. But it wasn't. Something was off. Something didn't feel right. As good as the performance was, Francis feels he could perform better. And that's why he's making these changes, see? If he truly thought it was perfect, if it was everything that you and I saw, Francis should have been awarded and Francis should have been the champion of the world and they should have put the belt around him. That's outcome. That's what we, the public, speak about. That's what DraftKings has to know. What was the outcome and how did it come? But the greats will focus on performance, not outcome. And something within the performance of Francis versus Fury, as much as we'd like to celebrate it, Francis feels wasn't right wasn't done, wasn't a final product, it wasn't perfect. And I find that interesting. I personally find that interesting. I thought that Francis overperformed. I didn't think Francis belonged in there with him. I was certain Francis couldn't beat him. And I was very confident if Fury went out and competed that it would be over inside of three rounds. The odds makers, by the way, fully agreed with me. But it wasn't a lucky punch. It wasn't, apparently. Apparently, there's a way to perform even better. Francis believes he has identified what that is. He has packed up. He has moved from his family. He has moved to this gym in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and he has buckled down fully on Anthony Joshua. For me, that's very interesting. I've seen fighters appear to be one foot in and one foot out. I had a teammate named Devin Cole. It's one of the hardest fights that Daniel Cormier ever had, and you can ask Daniel Cormier. 
And Devin Cole had a job at a tire shop. He'd be stacking tires. And during his lunch break, he would go to a school. It was like a middle school right across the street. And he'd run the track three times. But he truly believed, Devin did, in the sacrifice. He truly believed in his condition. He truly believed that he was going to be able to take Daniel Cormier to a place that Daniel had never been. And if you ask Daniel to this day what was one of his hardest and most competitive fights where he had to dig the deepest to come back and win, he'll tell you it was against Devin Cole. And if I tell you that Devin Cole went and ran three laps on his lunch break, you would assume that I was joking, but I'm not. Right, like there's just these, these different guys, they beat to a different drum and you never fully know what gets them going. And one thing that we see all the time in boxing and in MMA is a guy goes out and he has a good performance and some vulture comes in and takes him and says, you would have won if I came from one of the most quintessential and well-known gyms ever. Team Quest, I'm very proud of it. But my pride is almost internal. My teammates don't feel the same way. And the public doesn't see us that same way. I apparently was alone in thinking that we were an actual team. But I will tell you, nothing tore my team, Team Quest apart. Nothing tore Team Quest apart like the Ultimate Fighter. I, to this day, we had more opportunity than anyone else through that program. I coached it twice, for goodness sakes. The first coach ever of it was Randy Couture, who owned Team Quest, ever. And we had more connections and more opportunities. And you know what? I've only had one teammate. To this day, I have one teammate that's gone through that process and still is my teammate. And even he left the team for six years. We had a 100% breakup rate. You were part of Team Quest, and you went and did the Ultimate Fighter. Somebody would leech onto you that you would listen to, and you would no longer be a Team Quest fighter. I'm only sharing that for you, because it's a real thing, and I see it, and I go through it. I didn't see Francis go through it. And while he might be at a different gym, he brought his coach with him. And while the coach and Francis might be at a different gym, the head coach, Eric Nixon, still with him, still overseeing the whole thing. I'm only here to tell you one thing. Francis and go with you want to snicker at this go ahead you want to laugh at it go ahead you like it and you say I told you so might be but I will tell you for sure Francis Ngano is planning to beat Anthony Joshua made a statement you know you got to listen when eddie talks eddie really does understand the business and eddie's one of the guys when we talk about hey there's five people alive that know how to make a dollar in combat eddie's in that five eddie's old man was in that five and genuinely speaking when i hear eddie telling the media something that the ufc should do something that that dana white specifically had better do I always get skeptical that he's putting out misinformation, that he's being competitive, that he's trying to say something about a rival, not caring whether that hurts or hinders the rival, just wants to make sure that it reflects positively upon himself. That's generally what I'm trying to listen to. And Eddie Hearn is not a fool when it comes to pay-per-view, not to mention pay-per-view is shifting drastically, not to mention, and I should mention in front of everything else, Pay-per-view as boxing knows it today, 
mm, is going to resemble a lot of what boxing knew in pay-per-view 10 years ago, 2014. Pay-per-view that MMA knows today does not resemble in the slightest pay-per-view of MMA from a decade ago. So when Eddie comes out in this particular case, he's talking about Conor McGregor. Says for the UFC, hey, pay him whatever he wants. Get the deal done. Whatever it takes, you've got to do what's best for sport at times. And Conor McGregor is best for sport. It's like, well, he's not wholly incorrect. I mean, Red Panty Night has been a real theme. Red Panty Night has not been surpassed. It hasn't gone away. But the one other notion that the UFC has, and you get reminded of this over and over and over again, you were reminded of it within the disappointment that you felt at UFC 300. You get reminded that Dana White will not do anything unless that something has a reasonable chance to bounce into something else. Everything must be a springboard, right? Every idea Dana drops, drops onto a trampoline, whoop, and it shoots up. If it ever drops onto a vortex and it stays, or it cuts a hole in the trampoline and falls into the ground, like it's just not going to happen. It must lead to something else. The potential and the possibility of doing something, no matter how wonderful, that can grow into something even more wonderful. And that's where one of the problems, if not the number one problem with McGregor comes from. McGregor versus Chandler would be a fight about nothing. That wasn't always true. At one point, it was just going to be a grudge match. It was going to be a big match. It was going to be a feud. They were going to be partners. Partners in the fact that they were opposing one another on a very great television show that has been to this point in time the greatest marketing vehicle our sport has ever seen, The Ultimate Fighter. And when that came and left it, it, it we still could have kept that alive if it had been genuine. It wasn't overly genuine. We knew it wasn't overly genuine just by the fact that Conor McGregor called out eight other people since. Michael Chandler has called out nobody else. He stayed laser-focused on Conor. But Chandler had no reasons for calling out Conor aside from the fact that I was told it's going to be Conor. And the people that told me I don't believe will lie to me, I believe they can make it happen. I believe if I wait, I believe I will have Conor. Those aren't, those aren't reasons to fight. Those are not fighting terms. I'm mad at you and I'm going to fight you. Why? Because he told me that I could. Okay, now it sounds like you got something to do with him. Why are you mad at me? Because he told me that you and I were going to fight. So, yeah, I know. I heard you the first time. That's not a reason for us to fight. Is he, is he now lying to you? It sounds like maybe I got to beat his ass and maybe you got to beat his ass. But what are you and I getting mad at? And that's where lies the problem. So when Conor McGregor looks in different directions, I mean, as recently as right now, and guys, I've got to disclose, I just got back from Riyadh. When I was in Riyadh, I had very meaningful conversations that I'm not allowed to tell you guys about. But McGregor versus Pacquiao is being sought right now, and it's down to a weight class. That's it. And Conor's being very honest about how low he is not willing to go. But that also sheds some light on what Connor's going to do in MMA. Okay, we're not gonna see Connor in MMA in anything less than 170 pounds. Now, based on the conversations I just had with people, we don't have him at 170 yet. 
He has not agreed to box Manny Pacquiao as low as 170, at least not yet. So very relevant that I tell you comfortably in MMA is not returning at less than 170, and he's not joking about the 185. The question becomes, if you weigh 185 pounds and you stand five foot nine and you haven't won a fight in a period of time, then you're not actually on a championship run. And I don't actually need you to be on a championship run. I just need to be able to sell the idea that you're on a championship run. If I cannot sell that idea, how do I make the fight? And that is one of the big spots that they're in. Like, Eddie Hearn isn't totally wrong. I meet guys all the time. Tell me what a great job they would do. They should be president of the UFC. They do such a great job. Here's what I would do. I put Conor McGregor against George Mosvall for the BMF belt. And the winner gets a shot at Islam with Khabib in his corner. I mean, all of a sudden you're going, yeah, okay, yeah, everything you said makes money. Like you haven't told me an idea yet that isn't monetizable, but anybody can sell a Ferrari. You got to be able to move the Volkswagen Jetta off the lot. One thing has to lead to another, leads to another. It's not a book. It's a story. It's not just a story within a book. It's going to be a series within seven books that people are seeking the rights to distribution and to turn into a movie. Those are the ideas that you're looking for. I want to see Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. Why? On a real human level, why? Because Michael Chandler's really nice to me. That's why. When I talk to Michael Chandler, he talks nicely back to me and has for many years. Before he was a big star... He was a kind person to me. He was nice to my wife. And I know he wants to fight Conor McGregor. So I want that for him. I can't do you any more than that. I don't know what weight they're fighting at. But I also don't argue they should fight here or here or there. Because neither here nor there or the other one matters. It wouldn't affect rankings. The winner doesn't draw in two knee-deep in a few, knee-deep in a top-five clash. The loser isn't automatically eligible for retirement. When you talk about fights with big stakes, they're not just titles. People always get this confused. It's not just titles, it's not just championships, and it's not just number one contenderships and or rankings. The fall has to also be drastic. If you're in a fight that has consequence, if you're in a big fight, then you have consequence. If those consequences stay level or go up, you're not in a big fight. It's the one piece that matchmakers and promoters and media alike, they miss it. It happens right from them. They don't know why. They don't know why they don't have that same feel inside. Well, it could have been promoted differently. Well, this wasn't promoted enough. They'll think and they'll believe those things. But an ingredient that you must have, if McGregor and Chandler are going to fight, you got two ways to go with it. And everybody's trying to go with, well, what's up? Connor could fight for a title today. Chandler could fight for a title today if he could just beat the guy that they were going to let fight for a title. It starts to get tough and you don't start to believe it and you forget to look the other way. Because if I don't beat him, I'll retire. Boom. Now you just sunk it. You didn't sink the fight. You just sunk the discrepancy. Now you got yourself a big fight. So who amongst us is willing to take the risk? I don't know what the winner of Chandler or McGregor gets. I don't know what the loser of Chandler or McGregor has happened to them. But those are the two guys, and if we're going to make the fight, and we want to make it a big fight, then one of those two guys has to tell us what.
are the stakes. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language, but you didn't feel like you had the time or even the energy to invest? Maybe you took some classes in high school or college, but you haven't practiced in years. Or maybe you just want to impress your girlfriend's parents by learning their native language. Rosetta Stone has you covered. They have been the expert in language learning for 30 years and have been used by millions of people. You can download the app onto your phone or your tablet so you can learn on the go. I know many of you did not have the time to take a class or read through a book. Rosetta Stone has made learning convenient and effective through their immersive learning approach. What do I mean by immersive? Well, it's the same thing as if you watch MMA fights on TV, but you never get into the gym. Getting into the gym and taking kickboxing or jiu-jitsu classes helps you to understand the sport and become one with it. Rosetta Stone's lessons are designed for long-term retention of language skills rather than short-term memorization. The focus of the program is preparing you for real, authentic conversations, not just knowing a couple of translations. It's like having your own personal trainer for language learning. You can take Rosetta Stone with you onto the treadmill in your daily commute or even start the day while you're getting ready for work with just 10 minutes a lesson. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started and for a very limited time. My listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's all you have to do. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. That's a steal. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Drikas Duplessis turned down Israel Adesanya. Of course, I'm talking about UFC 300. Apparently, I can't use any stronger language than that, but Israel Adesanya and Dan Hooker backed him up, said yes. Adesanya was offered the fight for 300, opposite Duplessis. Adesanya accepted the fight at 300, opposite Duplessis. And then it was Duplessis that said no. Not enough time. Too short. In between him winning the title over Sean Strickland, off the top of my head, that was late January, and when UFC 300 is going to take place, off the top of my head, mid-April. Now, is that the right move or is that the wrong move? That's all that we're here to discuss. There's no way that Hooker and Izzy have a misunderstanding or have band together to launch a false rumor, right? That's just not what happened. So we know that they got offered this fight. Generally speaking, it's never a good idea to turn down title fights, but DDP already turned down a title fight once and everything seemed to work out just fine for him. DDP was also open with anybody that wanted to be open to hearing him. Right. I mean, a lot of times when a guy's come out and he's saying things that are the things that you want him to say, all of a sudden you close down. But he did come out and say, we're going to give 300 a good look, see how I feel, talk with my coaches, get down, take a deep breath, get back to you. And he did. He came back and said, no. DDP even furthered that as by saying, I believe 
Izzy and I makes all the sense in the world and would be an even bigger fight if we do it at UFC Africa. Now, I don't know of a UFC Africa that's planned, but if you have an African champion, right? I mean, if there's somebody that's going to get fed or leaked information that's going to be a higher level of information that we have, it would be the guy that you're looking to main event your first ever foray into Africa. If that's what's happening, if that's a conclusion that I can accurately draw from this, I'm not sure that I could say DDP is wrong. DDP is not in a position where it is his job to determine what fight is bigger and or biggest. Just for example. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is everybody involved here saying the same thing and appear to be in agreement? And I think so. I think so. And I got to give credit to Izzy, by the way. I mean, Izzy's own coach, Eugene Behrman, came out and spoke out about distractions. We're going to leave it at that. That had been getting the best of Izzy. Izzy himself wanted to talk about fighting so little. At one point, he said, when I come back to fight, it's going to be in a striking room, and it's going to be in 2027, which was purely Izzy's way of saying, you guys are driving me nuts. Leave me alone. Okay, fair enough. We went from leave me alone to the company needs a favor. And you marry that with the idea, I got a shot to get my belt back. And not to mention you sprinkle on top of that a fresh opponent. That's one thing that nobody really understands about Izzy. Putting your head in the mind of Adesanya is a hard thing to do. Because he's experienced a level of success, a notoriety, a fame, a love, an economic standing, everything right down the line that so many of us dream of he actually got. So what do you want to do then? Is more a good motivator or does it do the opposite like it does to so many other people? Where the thought of the fall, of losing that fame, of losing of what you're grasping onto becomes more of a detriment than the incentive of going out and getting it again or reproving it or going up even higher. It just becomes a very interesting place where we attempt to judge Adesanya and we attempt to say, well, if I was him, without standing back and going, man, I don't know very many people anywhere that ever been like him. But I do know he took this on short notice. I do know his feud with Duplessis is real. I do know his standing within the company and being a company guy and putting other people's needs in front of his own are real. I also know the day before when Eugene Barrowman came out, said, man, we're at least a month from getting into real training, and it's going to be a month after that just to return my athlete to pre-break conditions. Means that Izzy agreed to fight Duplessis on what the experts that know Izzy best said he wouldn't be at his best. And that's interesting to me. Does Izzy believe that he could beat Duplessis even on a down day? Because if you combined the statements, that's exactly what you're hearing. And there are good times to fight another guy, right? I mean, that is part of the equation. Is not just how do I feel? How do I feel? How can I feel? Today is towards the end of January and I'm world champion. The fight they want me to do is midway through April. How would I possibly know how I'm going to feel midway through April? Well, another thing that you want to consider is how is he going to feel? I know he won't be at his best, and here's why I know it. 
Do you take that into consideration? It appears that Duplessis did not. It appears that Duplessis very selfishly just looked at him his own self. And by the way, self selfish in this context, I'm giving a compliment. To be champion, to be an athlete, you need to be very selfish. The trainers are the ones that are selfless. So I, I don't question Duplessis here. I'm just trying to observe it. I'm just trying to stand back and look at it. There does appear to be something within that specific opponent, Israel Adesanya, that Duplessis takes pause. There does. And with fighters, they don't ever like to admit that. They think that that's a sign of weakness. I don't know why that's a sign of weakness. I don't know why as a fighter, particularly as a champion of the world, you're not allowed to compliment somebody every now and then. I don't know why as champion of the world, you're not allowed to say, I would not get in there with that specific person unless I was at my peak. I would do things with other opponents. I would short notice many men, but not him. I don't know why that's bad. But it does appear to be the case. Now, I told you guys long before 300 and the main event and the final announcements, I told you those offers were out. Those guys both, Adesanya and DDP, believed it was for the main event. And I asked them, I doubled down, I said, hey, I know you believe it is. I believe it is too. But I want to know, was that verbiage used? Did Dana White say to you, main event? And they both said no. Which I just think makes the, the story all that much more interesting. I realize we're not getting, I, I realize that's not what's upon us. But if it's good enough for 300, if it was good enough that it was offered at 300, I think that we should all believe that it is going to be 302, 303, 304, and that it is going to be good enough to be 302, 303, 304. It sounds like we're not in search for a number one contender. It sounds like Kazma Shemaev is not next for Drinkus Duplessis. It sounds like Israel Adesanya is returning to attempt to reclaim the belt against the guy who never beat it. Volkanovsky has pulled a very interesting experiment. I gotta word it like that. I don't know where this is gonna go. And I have very mixed reviews of my first reaction when it hit me. I went in a couple of different directions. All right, look, here's what happened. Volkanovsky has come out and he said, fighting Teporia that quickly, that quick of a turnaround after his KO loss to Islam might have worked against him. Okay. Now we were all thinking it and we were all thinking it even before the match. We were questioning that. But there is a consistency with Volkanovsky. Win, lose, or draw. And you don't see very many lose or draws. So you got to pay close attention to know that I'm right here. He always asks for a quick turnaround. Volk never turns the gun on the company. He never, at least publicly, starts asking for more money, making demands, card placement, anything in between. He goes to press conferences. I mean, he's the star of the show. He just went out and dominated somebody that we didn't know could be dominated. And then he asks for a quick turnaround. He's very consistent. 
I, I only bring that to you because when Volk asked for a quick turnaround in the cage at Fight Island after his loss to Islam, he talked about the mental health issues and why it bothered him, why it was important that he got a quick turnaround. When he did that, for so many, it was the first time people heard it. Now, he had never done it in the cage before, but he was also always giving victory speeches. However, Volk did, I'm letting you know this, Volk did very consistently go to the press conference and ask that he get turned around quickly. I bring that to you because Volk went off as the favorite against Tapura, but boy, it was close. I mean, this thing was closing fast. It was plus 115 to negative 112 at DraftKings at times. I mean, it was razor thin, but Volk was officially the favorite. And that's the closest line Volk has ever had. Even when he was supposed to lose against Islam, when so many people thought. But it was 3-1. to one. I mean, It was a huge spread. He never had anything that was this close. And I maintain one of the reasons it was close is because a lot of people thought that he was asking for a fight and he was hurrying back in there. And then you had people like myself, if I may say, that were paying attention that go, no, that's actually consistent. So what Volk has done now is he said, I won't make that mistake again. I will not rush in there again. I will wait however long it is that I have to wait to get the rematch with Deporia. Wow. Interesting. That's very interesting. First off, what would happen in that case, right? I mean, Volk's wording of that phrase, it's what's called an implied sale. Top salesman in the world will do this. A really good car salesman, you're in the booth, you look at the car, you kind of like it, and he will turn you, he will imply the sale, hey, what color did you want that car? As though it's your car already. And that's what Volk has done saying, hey, whoa, hey, uh, learn my lesson, take a breather here, you know, stay trained, stay busy, but do this one smart, just go ahead and wait for the rematch. He's implied that there's a rematch. Interesting. Now, let's go a step further. When it comes to Volk getting a rematch with Deporia, it's only yes or no. He's either going to get it or he is not going to get it. But doesn't it change the perception of the argument when you find out he won't do anything else in between? Now, the art of war is twofold. And... People generally get one of them right, but they get them both. They don't get them both right. The art of war. You must convince your enemy that you have a weapon that he can't deal with. Right? But then you must convince your enemy that you're willing to use it. Like if your enemy thinks, eh, I know that you got this, but you're a really nice guy and you're a reasonable guy. You got to convince him you're a little crazy, right? It's one of these things. They've got to go together. And there was something extremely believable when I read this statement by Volk. Because he was putting it on something. He was putting it on a past experience. I won't make that mistake again. Like, don't even bother calling me. I've proven I don't care who the opponent is. I've proven I don't care where in the world it is. I've proven I don't care what weight class it's at. Well, there's no reason that I the viewer should not then take Volkanovsky at his word. And his words were, he's not going to fight anybody until he gets the rematch with Ilya Tapura. And if I'm sitting around deciding whether or not I'm going to grant him said rematch, I feel as though it strengthens very much 
when I find out that he's not going to do anything else. So now all of a sudden, I mean, I, I, all of a sudden I'm a hostage. Do I want to retire Volk? No. Has anybody at this age of Volkanovsky lost the number one spot and reclaimed it at this weight class? No. No, they haven't. Okay. So you don't think Volk will be champion? Well, you know, by those numbers, I no, I don't think he's going to be champion. Okay, great. Fair enough. What do you think Volk's ranked? If you were ranking him, you got all the power and you got these magical numbers in history in your head, what do you think he's ranked? Well, I think he's ranked number one. He's beaten absolutely everybody and he's beaten them by a mile. Nobody's even been close except for the guy who's now got the belt. Oh, by the way, there was one completed round and Volk won that as well. I mean, it, it, you start to be in a very interesting spot. So what are you telling me then? You're telling me you don't think that Volk can rewin the belt because of this whole 35 years old and nobody's done it in this way. That's what you're, but you're also telling me that he's the number one contender. So you tell me he's got the right to try to fight for the belt. So you're going to retire him. You're the one with the decision. He says he's not going to do anything else. Do you believe him? He's got a weapon that nobody else can deal with. Now he's got to convince you that he's willing to use it. If he succeeds, if he truly can, if you're the decision maker and Volk truly convinces you, I am not going to do anything else. I don't need the money. I don't need the accomplishment. I don't need the memories. I want him. I deserved him. I earned him. I'm right number one. It's a very interesting spot. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying for you. I have no other arching point than to identify what's happening and to let you know I'm going to observe this. Like as, as time goes on and a week turns into a month, I'm going to observe this. And there does appear to be a very respectful 145-pound division who has not said these words. They have not come out and said, Volk should get a rematch. Nobody said that. But their actions have. Their actions have lended towards that. Max Holloway's got a mouthful of Justin Gaethje. There's nothing you can do to stop that. Brian Ortega just had a massive win over Rodriguez, but did not go after Ilya. Sean O'Malley has got the spotlight on him and pulled the reins on Taporia. It seems like a interesting position right now. And I know it doesn't lend towards going to Volk. It just doesn't, right? You got to have a, you got to have the number one thing you got to have. It's not your ranking. It's not your win-loss record. That's all in your head. That's what your managers and trainers have told you. That's completely in your head. The number one thing that you must have to get a title shot is the mandate of the masses. But it's a lot easier to get the masses than it is to get your ultra competitive locker room. And I think the boys in the locker room are already on Volkanovsky's side. I'm not ready to rule out and bring a gavel down and tell you he's wasting his time. I'm not. I think it's very interesting what Volk said. I think it's very interesting that he thinks he's next in line. Oh, and by the way, there are certain things that will cost you that championship. There, there, there are certain reasons why championships, like records are if a guy defends it twice. And that's a record in 30 years. And... 
While the story and narrative gets told to you all that it's ultra competitive and it's ultra hard, and unlike boxing, we put the best with the best and therefore you don't stand tight very long, that's all well and true. But there is another piece, which is once you become the champion of the world, a lot of people want your time. You can't be as focused. Not you aren't as focused, not you lose focus, you can't. There's still 24 hours in a day. You can't change that. You're now getting asked by people you can't say no to. For example, the UFC itself. They did so much for you and they provided this opportunity and here you are and they're going to call and they're going to ask you to go to photo shoots, to go to soccer games where I just saw it to pour you, to wear this suit, to show up at this event, to call into this radio station. There's just going to be things built into your schedule from a PR and marketing campaign standpoint. They're automatics. They go to whoever is champion. It's not just you. It's whoever is champion. Well, all of a sudden, you're not sleeping in your same bed. You're not in the same town. Which means tomorrow at 3 o'clock, you can't get to the same gym. You can't be with the same coaches. You can't be with the same training partners. Stipe Miocic set records at heavyweight. I maintain for you, it was his role as a fireman as much as anything else that helped him with that because it set his schedule. It locked him. He's in the same bed, waking up at the same place, going to the same gym with the same coaches. And it was a benefit that other guys didn't have. And I'm seeing a lot of Tepori lately. Look. Everybody should get their 15 minutes. There's a reason you want to be great. You want to be great so that you can then soak it in and enjoy it. I certainly don't blame him. I don't point a finger at him. I'm just letting you know that it is very visible and it is very obvious that there's a lot of people buy, vying for a piece of Taporia's attention, for a piece of his time. All of those things are sucks. All of those things are drains. You can want it. You can have the eye of the tiger. You can have all of those things. There, there, there are people that will look you in your eye and they will tell you, this sport is 80% mental. Bull, you know what? That is a complete lie. It is 100% physical. They'll tell you life. It's 80% mental. No, it's not. That's something that you, you tell a guy that wasn't blessed with the attributes or have the work ethic to go in and get the attributes. It's physical. It's all physical. They'll tell you train smarter, not harder. That is the first step to becoming a loser. You had better train harder than find a way to train harder than that and then try to find a way to train harder than that. Overtraining is fictional, and I'm, I'm sharing with you. These things are real things. When push comes to shove, you got your training camp versus his. This guy ran three miles a day, and this guy ran seven. Like, this isn't rocket science. I'm seeing a lot of Tapori. I'm seeing a lot of young man mistakes. We're only three weeks into it. Very unfair. Very unfair for me to cast those judgments. But I will tell you, being focused means saying no. If you are focused on something, quite literally what that means is when other opportunities come in, you say no. So you can focus on this. And that is clearly what Taporia did to get in the position that he's in. Staying there is a whole other game. Taporia, I'll tell you right now, you want to know what's going on with Taporia? Nothing. Now, I'm making a prediction for you, but as the smartest guy in the room, to make sure that you can stand back and enjoy this, nothing. There are times in life, it's a hard one to know. It's a very hard one to know. You can take your oars out of the water. 
You gotta know when to do nothing. You gotta know when you can be heard the most, when you can get your voice out the most, by staying silent. And it's a very hard thing to do. You meet guys in life that they, they, they can't work hard enough. They figure out why they're not where they wanted to be, right? Why they're not the starting lineman, just for example. But then you go look at it, you go look at the guy that is the starting lineman. Don't act like you work as hard as he does, right? It's one of those things. Like, it's really difficult to work really hard. But once you do form those positive habits, it can be equally as hard to pull back. And I'm just sharing for you so that you sit back and you observe it. Like 145 pounds is not what you think it is. And it's for those very reasons that nothing is going to be done in the short term with Ilya Tepoya. Look, let me give you a great example. Volkanovsky comes out, says, I'm the number one contender and I want a rematch. Well, that was something that nobody had considered. Volkanovsky was the favorite going into that fight. Volkanovsky's cleaned out 145 pounds. It was the exact same spot, right? As you're bringing up Duplisser, you're bringing up Chemaev, or you're welcoming Kamar Usman. Like, he had all this excitement at 185 pounds, but then all of a sudden, the king, Adesanya, falls. Well, of course, the king falls to number one contender. Of course, he now he goes from champion with a C next to his name in the ranking to one. He becomes the number one contender for the belt that he just surprisingly lost. Okay. We understand that. But not everybody can get that rematch. There begins to be things that have to happen. And if you look at 145 pounds, Volkanovski was not guaranteed the rematch. Now, one of the reasons he wasn't guaranteed the rematch, okay? And there's an idea in the war room at the Ultimate Fighting Championship located in Nevada. The reason that Volk wasn't told up, down, or sideways. It couldn't be done. You could not, under the rules of fight promotion, tell Volk yes or no that night. Why? Why? Sure you could, Jail. It's a microphone. Just say the words. No, wrong, because the very next week was Rodriguez versus Ortega in the same weight class. So without ever speaking the words you at least allow the idea to exist that that is a number one contender's match. And you, there's nothing that you would do if you were a reasonable-minded business person to get in the way of your own product. I'm sharing this with you. These aren't Chael's rules. I'm sharing with you what's happening all around you, standing back and just making sure that you observe the board. Okay, great. It's a week. No problem at all, because we got to hear from doctors and we got to, you know, trainers and let everybody calm down a little bit. We got to see what happens. There's a number of reports we have to get back before those decisions get made. No problem. But just so you understand, there was no scenario where Volk was going to be told yes or no. Now, had Volk won, likely Rodriguez Ortega would have got named Number one contender, we had a brief shakeup in the plans. Now, so you understand that weight class, okay? You have the usual suspects, and you've had them for a period of time. And Ortega versus Rodriguez is just a demonstration that the old guard is still clinging pretty tight. Those usual suspect names, those top-ranked guys and those top draws within the weight class are still the baddest dudes around. 
And there's no division that wants that to be the case for too long. But what do you do? What do you do in the ultimate proving ground if these guys are willing to prove it? Well, okay, you just keep going. You keep going until they run out, but we're not there. Aljamain Sterling is one win and one shot on a microphone away from a title shot. And the induction of Aljamain Sterling into the weight class is going to be so refreshing and so incredibly well-received if he has the right performance and if he calls for the title shot. I don't know that I'm predicting that for you. I'm sharing for you before you say, oh, obviously it goes to Ortega, or obviously you give it to Bullock. Your, your, your obvious isn't so obvious. With one fight and one shot on a microphone from a champion in a different division who has moved up, I'm letting you know that. Now let's take that same night. Let's say Aljo goes out, he grabs the baton, everyone goes, whoa, it's Aljo. 45 minutes later, Max Holloway is going to have his shot. The right performance, the right call out. And Max can take that spot right back from Aljo. Now, they both might go out and do great. We're going to bicker about it a little bit. That would be a perfect scenario for the company and everybody involved. They might both lay an egg. Aljo might have the perfect fight. Come out, say something unexpected. Okay, great. We pass it over to Max. He gets the jump on Gaethje. We think we're setting things up for Taporia. He goes after Islam. Like, we don't know where this is going to go. I'm sharing for you the oars are out of the water on announcing what's next for Taporia until a couple of these things play out. Like, 145 has some oddly interesting options right now. Max Holloway has stated, regardless of what happens with Gaethje, he wants to return to 145. That's the belt. That's the one he thinks about. But I don't know if that's true when Volkanovski's not the one holding it. Max never said Volk. He never said the one that's important to me to get back is a win over Volk. He didn't say, he said the belt. But sometimes a polite guy will say the belt when he means the person. I don't know. I know a number of us, I know you guys have started this and, I, and I'm with you. If Max beats Justin, two things in this order. If we, if we get to decide what happens, two things and we want them in this order. Start a whole damn division. Bring a lineage to the BMF belt that we love so much. Bring a lineage. You put out a card, which is the biggest card of all time, and we the people have spoken. That's our main event. We like the BMF belt. So in this order, we would hope that Max would be able to defend that. Now, we don't expect that to be true. Take it away. We keep Max at 155 pounds. We put Max in against Islam. That is what the community is saying. A very distant third, if Max beats Gaethje and becomes BMF champion, is that we drop him down to 45 and have him fight to poor, like an extremely distant third. So I'm sharing for you what's happening at 145 right now, and I'm sharing for you some of the reasons. If those matches don't go in the way that I said, or if the shots on the microphone don't go in that direction, nobody's going to get encouraged and nobody's going to get put in that spot. Nobody's going to wake up one day to a phone call that says, hey, we're going to slide you down here. It will instantly default and go to the rightful guy, which right now is either Ortega or it's Volkanovsky. And Ortega appears to be very polite. He really does. I think one of the reasons that Ortega was so polite post 
Uriah wasn't just to show respect to his foe. I think it was also to show respect to his other foe, who was Volkanovsky. But we always get this in a division. When you have a division full of killers, eventually they will all find each other, they will get up in the loft, and they will attempt to pull the ladder up behind them. You got to bring somebody in, put that ladder back down, give other people an opportunity. And other people is what a promotion is always looking for. And the other people at 145 being given the opportunity to spotlight, they're going to stand back, they're going to watch, they're going to see how they do and what they say. One, Max Holloway, and two, Aljo Sterling. And there will be no announcements at Featherweight for a title until those pieces of business are settled. Would Henry be fighting for the world title? Would have he been announced the number one contender as quickly as it happened for Marab? Because don't forget, they didn't even leave the ring. Henry was in the cage. Marab was doing his interview. When Marab was announced number one contender, Joe Rogan literally was given the information into the earpiece and said to Marab, we got O'Malley and Cheetah coming up. You will be taking on the winner, what do you think about that? He was announced right there, number one contender. And I'm just asking you, if you think, if Henry would have beaten Marab, would have that happened to Henry? And most likely you threw back a, I'm not sure. You were not defiant and positive and certain that that was a number one contender's match. Well, why not? I don't understand, why not? If we knew that was the match, and we have the evidence now that that was the match, somebody in that match was good enough that before we even talk to Dana or go to a post-fight press conference, this is decided Dana gave a thumbs up right to the truck, right to Rogan, here's the announcement. If the other guy was even better, was good enough to beat the guy that I just said all those nice things about, wouldn't he become the number one contender? And no, not necessarily. No, it looked a little different going in. Henry, in fact, would have been one and one in his last two. If, if that's how you wanted to play it, if you wanted to look at those numbers, those numbers would be extremely misleading, but it would be accurate. He would have been one and one in his last two. Marab had won, I believe, nine straight going into that. I think Marab's on a 10-fight win streak, and I could be off by one, but you understand my point. So it's the same guy putting that same risk out there, against a former world champion opponent. I mean, they both have really good arguments, but do you think it would have been done that quickly regardless of outcome or moreover had it been Henry? I, I think you're left that I don't know. I don't think you're quite as bullish about that. And what's the big difference? What's the big difference between them? Now, guys, hold on, because Henry was set to retire that night. They didn't get to him. Marab went on in his interview so long they didn't get to Henry. I, I realize a different story has been told to you guys, just so you know the reality. Marab went so long in his interview they didn't get to Henry. And because they didn't get to Henry, Henry's changed his mind. Not only has Henry changed his mind, he's got a really good idea. He would like, on Mexican Independence Day at the Sphere in Las Vegas, 
which has now been moved to a pay-per-view event, he would like to challenge Brandon Moreno. That's awesome. That's awesome. I don't believe Henry went any further. I don't believe he said, and then the winner gets to fight for a belt. So sooner or later, Henry will get to all that. That'll be an added part of the shtick, which if he can manifest and make come to reality, fine. But I think where we're at right now, he has just made the challenge, which was very interesting to me because not very many guys want to challenge somebody who's coming off of a loss. Why not? What The losses don't mean, I'm just telling you, to say they don't mean anything, but figuratively, they really don't. People really don't remember who's who. They really don't know if they won or lost or right like that. That's just internal. Henry is a former world champion who's going to cut back down to the weight class of 125. Look, I see the desperation that Henry's got. Coming out of the sport and wanting to go to 45. But there was a champ, champ, champ story to be told. Being told, nope, you're going to do it at 35. Coming ever a bit so close. Then attempted to be a number one contender for the very title that he once gave back. And now dropping to 125, but there is something on that in there. Henry Cejudo versus Brandon Moreno. And Henry made a statement, by the way, said, let's finish this once and for all. And I wish he would have elaborated because I think I know what he means. Henry cornered against Moreno. Now, Henry's ties to Moreno and his victories and his defeats towards Moreno had to do from a coaching aspect directly tied to Davidson Figueredo, I think. (laughs) That's what I think they're talking about with that. That's interesting to me. Can Henry get down to a buck 25, right? I mean, the discipline that you would need to get to 125 pounds, the discipline that you would need, the effort and the motivation that you are seeing and demanding of yourself to challenge Moreno. Moreno is the best fighter in the world on any given day. The true greats, by the way, in the true great eras, don't hold on to that thing for four years and five years and 10 years. The guys that win are undefeated for 10 years. That means your division sucked. It doesn't mean that you were that great. That's the reality of it. If you're a thousand and oh, it means you're in a sport with guys that aren't very good. That's what it means. It's not a compliment to you. You know how good Moreno is? He was good enough to capture the championship, passes somebody else, captured again, passes somebody else, be right in there the thick on any given day. Moreno versus Cejudo. I like it. I like it a lot, but I really want you guys to understand one piece that's missing from Henry. So let's go back to the Genesis. Let's go back five minutes to the question that I asked you. If Henry had beaten Marab, are you confident that Henry would be the number one contender, that Henry would have been announced by Rogan that night, co-signed by Dana that night at the press conference, moving forward, he will be the man waiting for the winner of O'Malley and Cheeto. That's what I'm asking you, if it were Henry, and your answer is no. And you want to know what the difference is? It's not a lack of parity, and it's not age. The one thing that Henry hasn't given us in this sport And I think it's very clear that he does have it. There's just a reason that he won't let it go, which is to let us know he's in it for the long haul. It's an extremely difficult thing to let somebody be world champion who is telling you, this will be my last fight. I'm going to win your belt and I'm going to walk away. It's a very hard thing to sign off and say, okay, 
when I've got all these other wonderful options that are not going to go and create me a potential problem. And I don't believe that Henry ever meant that he was going to be done. I don't believe that Henry ever, when we all believed he was going to retire if he didn't meet Rob, was actually going to be retiring if he didn't meet Rob. The greats, like Henry, will create an environment and they'll put themselves in it. They will put themselves in a situation that they believe brings out the best. And regardless of what happens today, it's going to be a learning experience. And I'm still young in the sport. And it's my first one back after a little bit of time off. And I'm going to give myself about three or four to get back in there. Like these are different approaches that different guys have. But the greats will burn their ships. The greats will put themselves in a situation where it's pass or fail. It's all or nothing. And Henry's one of the greats. I don't think Henry is somebody that changes his mind continually. I think it just appears that Henry is changing his mind continually. I don't think Henry was ever going to retire if he beat Rob. I don't think he wanted to retire the night that he fought Dominic. I don't think the outcome of the Aljo match had to do with what was next competitively for Henry. I don't think, but I can't prove that to you because I'm left at the words of Cejudo the same as you are. And while Henry does a great job and while he keeps us on the edge of our seats, and while the Triple C and the King of Courage, while all of these things work, the one piece that a promoter is going to have to know is that I don't just have you tonight, I got you for the next night. The outcome of this match can have a significance because I can count on you to show up to pay it off to the audience, or can I not? I don't have a crystal ball, you don't have a crystal ball. I'm going to take you at your word. And Henry keeps putting himself in a position where he must succeed. But the other side of that, the other side of that, right, that's a competitive standpoint. We'd never question somebody as decorated as Cejudo. That's the competitive side from the marketing side. The words make it sound like this is one night only, as opposed to here's where we're at in the story of my career. And it's a tone and it's a verbiage and it's words, but tones and verbiage and words matter for a reason. So Hudo is not done, and he's proven he's not done, and he's got the eye of the tiger, and he's still hungry, and he's willing to change weight classes, and he's willing to call out Brandon Moreno, who nobody ever calls out, not to mention he's willing to put all the focus. First time at the Sphere, Mexican Independent Day, all the eyeballs on a pass or a fail. Can't get any hotter. That's the way Henry likes it. Now he just needs to make sure that it's perfectly clear for the decision makers that this is one stop on the journey that's going to be known as Henry's career. world with a perspective of my sport is tougher than yours or my sport is tougher than other sports. Now, I have internally felt as though I was doing the harder sport. I just felt that as a wrestler growing up, and a lot of that came from jealousy. I would go to other sporting events and they'd have all sorts of people there. They'd have fanfare and they'd be selling t-shirts and the whole bit. We didn't have any of that and we worked harder. Now, does that matter? Does one have to do with the other? I, I don't know. But I know that I have not personally come out and said 
and banged my chest, with few exceptions, of course. And it was a number of years ago, I had a back and forth with Lance Armstrong, and it was all through the Jim Rome show. Like, he would go on Rome, and then I would go on Rome. Lance and I never actually spoke to one another. And I was using an example with the bicyclist, because Jim Rome was, like, defending that. He was saying it like, you know, the bravado of bicycling, which was a little bit hard for me to hear. So I was trying to explain to Rome Boy that my son, who was five years old at the time, on family vacations, would ask to bike ride. I would take my son, who was five at the time, on bike rides when I was on vacation. The last thing I'm looking to do on vacation is to work hard. It's, it's quite literally what the word vacation means. Now, we weren't going through the Alps and we weren't going for 300 miles or whatever it is they, they do, but I think that I make a fair enough point. Somewhere along the way, I end up in some dust-up that Joel gets me in with the captain of the local swim team. And I turn back to the same analogy. I said, hey, hold, hold on just a sec. When I go on vacation, I swim. When I'm looking for a day off, if God in heaven above has smiled upon me, I will get a day in the pool. There is never a day when you are going to go to wrestling practice and look forward to it. There's never a day you're going to do that on vacation. There's never a day ever as a prerequisite to your workout, to your warm-up, whether you're biking or swimming, that you will wrestle. Ever. Because it's so difficult to do. Because it's so hard to do. I will do your sport as a warm-up and or a cool-down to my sport. Now, that's never helped me. Whether you agree with the argument I just made or not, it's never helped me. It's never brought more people in. It's never got me a pat on the back. It's never earned me a dollar. But I bring that to you because it does seem very relevant. I'm in a sport right now where so many of my brethren, is that, is that the right word? Want to be doing something else. They want to be boxers. But you don't ever meet any boxers that want to do MMA. Now, I would assume following the laws of logic, that what you strive for and that what you want to do is going to be a better life and easier than what it is that you do now. I would assume. I know wrestlers that want to go into MMA. I respect wrestlers, but they want to go into MMA. They're going to use it as a foundation. I know jujitsu guys that want to then go into MMA. I can keep playing that game, karate and taekwondo and boxing. I don't know MMA guys that then the Olympics roll around. They, they're going to stop what they're doing and try to make a judo team or a taekwondo team or a wrestling team, just for example. Now, I don't know that one matters, right? Like, I don't know that me proving to you how hard MMA is and how hard they work and the grittiness and the determination, I don't know that there's an advantage to winning that argument, but it's an important argument that I personally understand because now we have people within MMA who I respect, Fitzayev. To put a name on it right now this morning, Fitzayev, who I do respect, calling for a 165-pound division. Now, first off, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but just so that we're perfectly clear and you don't go wasting your time and life 
There is not going to be a 165-pound division in the Ultimate Fighting Championship that contests a 170-pound division. Just so you know, so so if you're going to bet your chips or you've got good information that's better than Uncle Chael, who's never wrong and has never misled you, but you, in this one case, you've got somebody that's got information that Chael doesn't have. Make sure you understand your bet. You are not just making a bet that they're going to have a 165-pound division. You're simultaneously betting that they do away with 170. You sound like an insane person when you make either of those statements. And to make one of those statements, you're making them both together, just so you understand. Now, my problem with it only comes, because it's called for, it's within the unified rules. That weight class exists. There will be other promotions that come forward and, and they do it. I'm just sharing for you in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And I think that that's relevant because the author of the statement that I'm speaking to is Fitzayev, who signed to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Now, I don't want to single him out, but I do want to understand the guys that are binding together and speaking up, saying, give us 165 pounds, because there's one piece of confusion. I'm all for opportunity. I wanted to bring back the super fight. I love the BMF. I like the interim championship. I like opportunity. The more people who, when this is all said and done, can have beautiful, shiny things up on their mantle, can have goals that they set, that they achieved, I'm all for it. But therein lies the problem. If you're asking for a 165-pound division and you're signed to a certain division now, are you saying... This is the number for me. This is where I would do my best. And look at all these other guys that I could tell you that would also sign up in the same division. Because once you identify those guys, you simultaneously excluded who's coming in. You simultaneously have also said who's going to stay at 55 or who's going to stay at 70. So that's just where I get a little bit confused when there's this push for the mythical weight class of which doesn't exist and is never going to exist, but that's where I get confused. Hey, I could be champion. Okay, great. You have my attention. Can you beat all of these guys? Well, no, but I'm not going to have to. Okay, please explain. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to form a division and we're going to keep some of these really tough guys out of it. Okay. We'll come to think, I mean, if we can keep on doing these degrees of separation, sure enough, young man, you could be champion. Tell me more. Can we hold the contest in your garage? Can we tie one hand behind your back? I mean, it's one of, it's one of those spots. That I don't think that that's how it's meant. But I will tell you, it sure does come off that way. It very much comes off of the idea that we're going to go form a division and we're going to keep and then fill in the blanks. We're going to keep Islam out of it. We're going to keep Leon Edwards out of it, just for example. And I never know how to take it. And I never know if I should just sit back and, because like, that's not interesting, by the way. I mean, let, let's say, this would never happen. Let's say, I can barely even form the words. Are you ready? Let's say, Chael's wrong. If you were to put on a 165-pound division, just so you understand, you do not sell one more ticket. You do not sell one more pay-per-view. You do not sell a t-shirt. You go put 165 right on the t-shirt. Nobody buys it. 
You don't get one headline. I'm gonna call a press conference. Great, I need a rough idea of what it's about. I'm gonna announce a division. Okay, hey, leak a little bit more to me. Or I'm gonna announce 165. There's no press conference. There's no announcement. There's no headline. There's nothing on it. There's no motivation and or reason that anybody would do it. You would be separating your classes by five pounds. Therein lies the problem. Like, you might hypothesize at one point in time whether that would be a good idea or a bad idea, but you don't have to hypothesize things that are already done. You can just look at the paradigm. It was done in boxing. In fact, they got it all the way to three and a half pounds. It was a complete disaster. So I don't begrudge 65 pounders. I don't begrudge anybody that would like to compete at 65. I'm not trying to be the skunk at the garden party at all. I will let you know just on some outside chance that you think you have a friend somewhere that has better information than I have. Your friend is lying. 165 pounds does not, will not, and is not coming to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And a shout out to Nick who left a review on Apple Podcasts saying, fantastic show about what fuels combat sports and every other human endeavor. That is very high praise, Nick. I appreciate it, and I deserve it. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. But come back next Tuesday. I promise I'll be here. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.